you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So I told you guys a while ago that I had been pulled over pretty close to the church over on Mount Pleasant, and uh, I didn't stop at the stop sign long enough. I, I did stop, but it wasn't like the full stop. And so I got pulled over and I got a ticket. And then not like a month later, my son got pulled over by the same cop for going through a stop sign on the same road. And it was the same deal. He did stop, but just not long enough. And um, it's funny because this has been happening or this happened over like on Mount Pleasant and, and, and Blydenburg Road. And in the first service, there was four or five other people pulled over by the same cop in this area. So I'm just saying, be careful. Okay. So, so nice nicest lady could have ever given you a ticket. She was very kind and very respectful and very loving, but I still gave us a ticket. But um, the funny thing was she asked us the question, what happened back there? And Kate and I both answered, and I said, I just didn't break enough, and he said, yeah, sorry. Those were the responses. Now you're going, Doug, why do you know those responses so well? Because they were documented. Look at this. I got the ticket, and here is a picture of it. It says, in which you substantially stated as follows, I just didn't break enough. And Cade said, yeah, sorry. And, and, and Kate and I were laughing. We're like, if we knew these things were going to be recorded down in history, like we would have maybe said some more official things than, yeah, sorry. And uh, so today we're going to look at some things that were recorded in history that are incredibly powerful. And they really lead us to our first question here today. The question is, can I trust the Bible? Some of you don't trust the Bible, and I pray today you'll find some proof that you can trust the Bible. Some of you do trust the Bible. You do believe it's true. I want you to be more secure in what you believe as you walk out of here today, as we look at some really powerful things the Bible has to say that's just going to show us, wow, we can trust it. I love when the Bible comes alongside a history, and they make sense, and they work together. We're going to see that today. You know, sometimes that happens with science. Sometimes that happens with archaeology. It's just so awesome to see the Bible confirmed in these different ways. So we're going to jump into that. But that's not all. Question two we're going to look at today is, how can a loving God send people to hell, right? This is a big objection, and it's something that people struggle with. And, and maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around it. Or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're going, I just don't like that. I don't even like the concept of that. So, so how can that be? How can God God be loving and, and yet do that. And we're going to jump into that. And then lastly, what should our attitude be toward the end times? Most people's attitude is just kind of freak out about it, okay? And I think we do this in four ways. We become terrified, obsessed, divided, or distracted. And we're going to talk about that here today. So um, today we're going to look at, can I trust the Bible? How can a loving God send people to hell? And end time stuff. So, you know, it's just like the light and easy stuff. So no big deal. So, but let's jump into this. And it's hugely important because this, the answers that we have to these questions change everything, don't they? Like the, the way that we answer these questions that we're going to look at today impact us and they impact those around us. They impact how we do or don't share our faith. They impact how we live. They impact uh, if, if we sleep at night or not, or, or, or if we you know, are able to just rest in God. Like, like there's so much wrapped in understanding these different questions. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray today that you will see how much you need Jesus, how much he loves you, and, and all the things he's done for you. So Daniel, here we are. It's our last part in this series. I know I've learned a ton as we've been going through it. I'm so thankful for this book. It's challenging and it's deep, but I think that it's been what we needed in this time. And so uh, as we kind of keep rolling and we remember that Daniel was taken as a teenager from his homeland of Jerusalem and he was 
basically lived his whole adult life in slavery to these foreign pagan kings, and yet God used him so mightily. And we've been tracking with him the story of how God used him so mightily as he followed this sovereign God. And Joe did an awesome job last night. Last night. I don't think it was last night. I mean, he, I'm sure he did something great last night too, but, but last week um, he did an awesome job taking us through chapter 10. And we're going to jump through chapters 11 and 12 today. And uh, 12 is real short, so it's not like we're going to be here forever. But in chapter 10, we were seeing Daniel in this conversation with an angel that God had sent. And the conversation continues here. And it starts with our first question, can I trust the Bible? Let's jump in. Daniel 11, chapter 2. Joe left off with verse 1 last week. So here we go. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. So what's this all about? The angel, right? God sends an angel to tell Daniel a bunch of things that are going to happen hundreds of years later, okay? Some of them will be more recent, but some way further, and then even out to our time, okay? And so Daniel is um, getting these unbelievable prophecies about what's going to happen historically in this next seasons. And you might say, well, did any of this come true? That's exactly what I want you to see today. I want you to see that the things God told Daniel would happen did happen, and it's incredibly powerful if you're like, should I take the Bible seriously? Here's, here's why we know we can, okay? There are a couple of historians in the first century AD, second century AD, who recorded and wrote very uh, correctly and accurately what the history of Israel was and what the history of the surrounding nations were. And there was one guy named Polybius. Everybody say Polybius. All right, good. I think I sprained my poly bias once. It was horrible. I had to go to PT. It was a whole thing. Um, then there's another historian named Josephus. He's a second century horse historian, believed to be one of the best historians of that time. And these two historians tell us that events that happened in secular history line up with the Bible. These two guys weren't followers of Jesus, and yet what they wrote about what happened in history lines up with what Daniel said would happen in history. So first off, in that, in that first verse we just read there, it said that there would be three... Uh, kings that would arrive in Persia, and then a fourth that would be more wealthy. And we know that these kings were Cambyses, Pseudosmyrtus, Darius, and then the fourth king that became way richer was Xerxes I. And you're, all, you're going, Doug, I don't care about these names. They don't apply to my life. It was forever ago. Why are you telling me these names? Because I want you to know these are real people who really lived, and these things really happened, and they really line up with what the Word of God tells us was going to happen. And if what God told Daniel was going to happen did happen shows us we can trust the Bible. Let's keep going. When he, Xerxes, has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So Xerxes is going to become very wealthy, and then Daniel says he's going to come against the nation of Greece. Guess what happened in, in 480 BC? Xerxes attacked Greece. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. This was Alexander the Great. We've read a lot about him in the book of Daniel. And it says this. After he has risen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four. Everybody say four. It's going to matter in a minute. The four winds of heaven, it will not go to his descendants, so it's not going to go to his kids, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. you got a lot of prophecies there just in that one little verse, right? That his kingdom was not going to go to his kids, that he was going to lose his kingdom, and that it would be given to four others. Well, Secular history tells us Alexander the Great died prematurely in 325, excuse me, 322 BC. His sons were murdered, his uncle was murdered, and his kingdom, which should have gone to his sons, 
was given to four of his leading generals. And so right there in that one verse, you see such accuracy. Can you trust the Bible? Yes, you can trust the Bible. Historically, it lines up with what really happened. Now we're going to keep going here, but there's something important because there's a guy named, uh, oh no, hold on one sec. Before I get there, let me just remind you of this. Everybody say king of the south. Say king of the north. Okay, so those are two phrases that we need to know and keep with us as we keep going, because they're going to keep coming up here in the next part of the chapter. And think of it like this, okay? You know how we use the term president, and it applies to all the presidents of you know, the last several hundred years, right? Like, I can use the word president and, and talk about George Washington. I could talk about Abraham Lincoln. I could talk about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Well, nobody threw anything in church and I just said those two names. We're getting somewhere. All right. Good job, guys. Let's keep going with that. All right. And so that term president applies to all of those people in the same way the kings of the north and the kings of the south applied to all the kings in the north, kings of the north and the kings of the south. So Daniel will say, then this happened to the king of the north. And it might be a certain king, but then the next time he says it, it might be about the king after him. It might, you know, like Trump and Biden and whoever's coming next or however that all works, right? And so I just want you to be clear on that as we go. So as we jump in here, let's look at the next part in Daniel eleven five, 5. And look how detailed and reliable the Bible is, okay? It says, the king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. These kings would be Ptolemy, Soter, and he was a powerful general of Alexander the Great. And then the other one is Seculus One Nicator. That's a really hard name to say. Imagine that's your kid's name and you got to like get, you know, Seculus One Nicator, I'm headed up to here with you. Like that's just a a mouthful. But um, these kings of the north and south, like there was always conflict. And then it says this, we get to the next set of them. Verse six, after some years, they will become allies. The kings of the north and the kings of the south will become allies. That seems unlikely because they were always fighting. And yet, what we find is that Ptolemy II and Antiochus II eventually, after being bitter enemies, found a way to become allies. And so, again, you see what the Bible said would happen did happen. Now, everybody say Ptolemy II. All right, Ptolemy II is really important because some of you guys are skeptics, and I've been a skeptic too. And the, and the question running through your minds is, come on, prophecy Daniel wrote these in the 500s BC, and then they all came through true over hundreds of years. That doesn't happen. So here's probably what happened. This is what you might be thinking. You know, maybe like first or second century AD, somebody looked back at history, saw all the things that had happened over the last five, 600 years, and then wrote them down and then called themselves Daniel and said they wrote this book. And they said it was prophecy, but they really wrote it all after the fact. The reason we know that's not true is because in, two, in the 200s AD, Ptolemy II sponsored something called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was the translation of the Old Testament scriptures from Hebrew to Greek. So the book of Daniel was written, recorded, and translated in the 200s BC. And so it couldn't have been somebody coming in the 100s AD, 200s AD, going back, looking and making all this stuff up. No, it was there, recorded, ready, written, and translated. And so we can thank God for Ptolemy too, and, and what happened there to help encourage some of our understanding of the proof of the scriptures. Let's keep going. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance. So now we have the daughter of one kingdom going to make an alliance with another. Did that happen in secular history? Yes, it did. How did it happen? Well, the, the, the daughter of the king of the south named Bernice, I actually had a grandma named Bernice, no lie, uh, married the king of the north. So are you seeing the detailed prophecies? You can trust the Bible, but it goes deeper. But she, Bernice, will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days, she will be betrayed. 
together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. Well, did that happen in secular history? Yes, it did. We find out that when Bernice's dad died, the king she married went back to his first wife and had Bernice and her son murdered so they would no longer be a threat to them. Exactly what the Bible says, what happened? It keeps going. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. Bernice's brother went back and took vengeance on what happened to her and came against that kingdom. You can trust the Bible. Daniel wrote this stuff hundreds of years before it happened, and then it happened. Let's keep going. Verse 8. And I'm just going to give you a few more. We're not going to do all these, all right? I don't want to lose anybody. Verse 8. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. In 240 BC, a treaty was signed causing them to live at peace and leave one another alone. We're going to jump to verse 20 now, just to summarize a little bit. And when we do this jump, we're jumping 100 years, okay? So 100 years later, we're is where we are now in history as Daniel's prophesying. It says, his successor, talking about Seleucus IV, will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. So we find out that there's this ruler, and this ruler is going to be killed, but he's not going to be killed in battle. Well, we find out that this Seleucus IV was a crazy taxer, and the people hated him because he taxed them so much. And so his tax collector actually poisoned him. So he didn't die in battle, but he did die. And I know what some of you are thinking. No, we cannot poison the tax people, all right, everybody? Like, I know the taxes are high, but come on, be Christian-like. All right, let's keep going. Verse 21, he will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. The ruler here is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And the history books tell us he believed he was God manifest. In fact, that's why he was called Epiphane, because Epiphane means God manifest. But the people thought he was crazy. And so instead of calling him Epiphanes, they called him Epimames, because that meant basically madman. So you see, man, the scriptures have incredible detail. And as you dig into what the Scripture said what happened prophetically and what did happen historically. It's absolutely incredible how powerful it is. And we uh, just looked at a few examples here, but over the first 35 verses in Daniel 11, there are 135 prophecies that all came true. You can trust the Bible. It's incredibly detailed and accurate. Let's keep going now, right? So now there's a big jump. So Daniel prophesies for... Uh, many, you know, a long season about the hundreds of years of the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And there's a big jump, you ready for this, to the seven-year uh, seven period before the return of Jesus. And now we get into some of that. And we began to talk about this a few weeks ago. And uh, we talked about the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is the false messiah in the end times who will want to destroy the people of Israel and those who follow Jesus. And uh, we talked about some of the numerical prophecies. Some of you math people were like, that was the best thing ever. And some of you were like, that was horrible. Let's never do that again. But it was really detailed. And again, just a powerful way of understanding what God can do. But rather than read a whole bunch about the Antichrist and what's going to happen, and I would love to just paraphrase some of it with a list that Donald Campbell put together. This is really well done. Read it with me. It says, he will act in self-will. He'll exalt himself, magnify himself above every god. He'll blaspheme the true god. will succeed for a limited period of time and will be an irreligious person. He will also place confidence in military might. His military might will be challenged. 
and he will be initially victorious in battle. However, he will face renewed conflict, will establish his headquarters in Jerusalem, and will finally come to an end. And then chapter 12 falls right out of chapter 11, continuing the same thought. It says this, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So there will be a conflict, but now God has brought Michael, so there's some supernatural uh, defense going on here. It keeps going. But at that time, your people, this is a really important verse now. You ready? Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now this verse makes it clear that there's one of two destinations for every one of us, right? You see that there's this destination of eternal life or eternal contempt. And it doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how successful you are. It, it, it's all about one thing. And we just sang about it a few minutes ago, didn't we? It's all about the blood of Jesus that washes us. It's all about that relationship with him. It's about believing in him and knowing him as our personal savior. That's the one thing that gets us to Christ. Now, there's heaven, there's hell. And so this, of course, brings up the question, how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? And I want to give you a couple thoughts on this, okay? First off, I want to remind you and I that it's our sin that causes the separation between us and God, right? That's our issue. That's our sinfulness that causes that separation between us and God. And I also want to remind you that those who go to hell go there because they don't trust Jesus as Savior, Right? He's made a way, and yet those who don't choose to follow that way go to hell instead of heaven. And there's a whole lot of like, you know, conversation around this and confusion around this, and, and it's like, well, wait, is God sovereign or do I make a choice? And the answer is yes. <laughs> We've seen that in the book of Daniel over and over, haven't we? God is sovereign, yet Daniel made lots of choices, and those choices mattered. There's a great illustration that Tim Keller used to use, and he would talk about, I want you to imagine a door. So everybody just look over at this door for a second. Imagine above the door, instead of it saying the words exit there, there was a scripture verse written there. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he says, I want you to imagine that you're seeing that, and you're drawn to it, and you're going, wow, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to go make that choice and be saved. He says, and then you walk through the doorway, and on the other side of the door, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. You can see you're making a real choice as you walk through the doorway, and yet it's the Lord that's drawn you the whole time. Sovereignty, and yet freedom. And God's big enough to manage that tension, isn't he? But what about hell? Well, let's talk for a minute about all the things that God did to rescue us from hell. He sent his son that we would not go to hell. Right? He sent the prophets to point us ahead to Jesus that we would believe and not go to hell. He sent us the disciples to walk with him and be eyewitnesses to his death and his resurrection to point back to Jesus that we would believe in him and not go to hell. He gave us the scriptures that we would open it and read it and see him and believe in him and not go to hell. He gave us creation so we could walk outside and see a sunset or a sunrise or a beautiful sky and go, look, look at this powerful God who's present. Look at the waves still crashing on the shore. He's present and we would believe in him and not go to hell. And he gave us, listen, people in our lives to point us to him. And by the way, you're one of those people meant to point somebody else to him that we would believe in him and not go to hell. So I would say that God has done a whole lot and bent over backwards that you and I would not go to hell. To look to Jesus as rescuer and savior. And so we have a loving God who has made a way and we don't deserve that way. And yet he's made that way, hasn't he? What a good God that we have. 
Let's keep going. Verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This verse points to the glory and blessing that will be poured out on people who know the Lord. And it doesn't mean we're going to turn into literal stars, although I was kind of thinking that would be kind of cool, because then if two of us got into a conflict, we would have Star Wars. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A little bit. Doesn't mean we'll turn into stars, and we won't cease to exist, and we won't be angels floating on clouds, right? Get all those images out of your head. What are we going to do? We've done a whole series on this. What are we going to do? Man, we're going to see Jesus. We're going to fall at his feet. We're going to worship. We're going to eat. We're going to play sports. We're going to celebrate. We're going to sing songs. We're going to tell stories. We're going to have responsibility that we enjoy. We're going to be free, listen, of death. We had two members of our church lose loved ones just in the last two days. Uh, Joe Levante's grandpa passed away on Friday, and Jimmy Malloy's mom passed away yesterday, and our hearts hurt, right? And I was talking with somebody before the first service, and they were just saying, man, you know, Christmas is great and all, but it reminds me of those that I don't have anymore, you know? And that day's coming when that will be no more. There'll be no more sadness and no more tears and no more death, no more mourning and no more sin and no more struggle. And that's because we have a God who bent over backwards that we would know him, that we would have a relationship with him. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Verse, two, uh, verse 4. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. The angel tells him to close up the record of what he's been told. Uh, how many of you guys have a password on a file on your phone or something? You know, I, I know you made it password or one, two, three, four. You know, brilliant, really good. No one's ever going to figure that out. Um, but, but Daniel isn't being told he'll here seal up the scroll like that. Like hide it or protect it or password protect it. No, it's, it's more like this. How many of you guys have done scrapbooking? Like, like your, your kids, you know, you, you get into that or maybe your parents did it and every time your friends came over, they had to pull the pictures out, pull the scrapbook out. Like here, they took his first step and don't they love to show the potty pics? It's the first time on the potty. Put the potty pics away, mom, you know, all that fun stuff. But the, that's why Daniel's told to seal this up because it's that important to bring it back out that those would seek it and find truth and find knowledge and understanding. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? So listen to this. You ready? Everyone look at me real quick. These are two angels asking the other angel, When's all this going to happen? Right? Like they have limited knowledge, like you and me. Here we are in 2023, and we're going... All right, here's all this like end times talk and antichrist and seven years before Jesus comes back of all this end of this world stuff and how's this all gonna play out? And here are the angels asking the very same question. What should our attitude be toward the end times? Verse seven, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and heard him swear by he who lives forever saying, it will be for a time times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally broken, all things will be completed. I heard, this is great, because this is where you and I live, right? I heard, but I didn't understand. We're going, what? Times, times, half a times, this, right? Like, what do you mean? So I asked, my Lord, Daniel's asking this. Daniel's going, God, explain this, what the outcome of all this will be. He replied, I love this response, everybody. Let this hit your heart today. Go your way, Daniel. Because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time 
of the end. I love this answer. Daniel's going, I'll understand. God, help me understand. I'm a little bit freaked out about all this stuff I just saw. It's, it's messing with my head. Go your way, Daniel. What's God saying? I've got you. I've got this. I'm a sovereign God on a sovereign throne. Go your way, Daniel. Man, if I could just allow that to land on you today. But God, what about this issue in my life? What about the end times? Or what about my now? Forget the end. I always worry about now. Go your way. God's got it. God's got you. See, because I think that specifically with the end time stuff, we become terrified. We don't sleep over this stuff. We, we freak out. We don't want to come to church when we're you know, talking Daniel or Revelation. Or, and we get all freaked out and we dread it. And I would just say, go your way, Daniel. God's got it. God's you. God's got you. We become obsessed. Right? Maybe we're not afraid, but everything is because of the end times now, right? Like you have that view, like, oh, the war is here, end times, uh, the stock market, that, end times, I broke my ankle on the football field, end times, you know, like everything becomes about the end times. And listen, I said this a few weeks ago, we're going to know when it's the end times. And, and, you know, some of the disciples were convinced Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, and they were really wrong about that. And then around World War II, when Hitler was doing his stuff, everybody who, thought, who was a Christian thought Hitler was the Antichrist, and this was it. And they were really wrong. And since then, there's been a hundred other people that, you know, oh, it's going to be this day. It's going to be this time. It's going to be this day. It's going to be this time. No, we don't get obsessed. Go your way, Daniel. God's got it. God's on it. Another thing, we become divided. This breaks my heart. There are churches that have been split over this issue. There are new denominations that have been formed over this issue. It just breaks my heart. Christians haven't loved one another well over this issue. Why have we not seen that God left some mystery to this? Right? Jesus himself said, only the Father knows the day or the hour. I, I just say, let's not get distracted. Through our fear, through our obsession, and through our uh, division, we've gotten distracted from being the, the amazing witnesses that God wants us to be in this time. You know, so, so don't freak out. What do we do then? Be ready. Just be ready. What does that look like? Well, for some of us, it's getting our life focused back on Jesus. Because if we're honest, we're just really far from him. But let's be ready. Let's get our eyes on him again. And we're not perfect. We're going to fall short. But, but if there's any like huge sin, we're just like okay with. Let's, let's work on that and bring it to the Lord. Say, God, forgive me and get me on a new path. If there's just a, a distractedness in our, in our hearts, it's, Lord, get me back on you. Um, if there's a hardness in our heart because of hurt we've walked through, it's, God, help me to get my eyes on you again. So be ready. And then the other, the other way we're ready is we got to start telling people about Jesus, everybody. Like, let's say it is the end of the world. I don't know that it is or it isn't, but, but let's say it is. What the heck are we doing in church arguing about this stuff? If it really is the end of the world, shouldn't we be out there telling people about the love of Jesus? We don't have time to be divided about this stuff. And so what does it look like to be able to invite? I'm going to tell you I've been inviting people to church lately. I invited um, people at my bank. I invited doctor, a nurse, a dentist, a dental assistant. You got to watch out for me with the medical field. I'm on a mission. Um, <laughs> invited my neighbors, invited some different people. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I want you to think that I'm awesome. No, it's not why. I, in fact, I don't even like to bring this kind of stuff up. You know why I'm telling you? Because when Joe Calabrese says, I invited like every person I know to church this week, that gets me fired up. The week before, I was sitting in the dentist chair. Joe said, hey, I had a conversation with this guy and that guy, this guy. And I'm sitting in the dentist chair going, maybe I should have a conversation. Joe's doing it. Maybe I should do it too. And Jason's like, hey, man, I'm at work, I'm just telling people about God. I'm sharing. Right? Like that gets me fired up. So I guess as your pastor, maybe I'm supposed to help fire you up a little bit. 
and tell you if I'm doing it, you should be doing it. And here we are in the Christmas season and people are willing to come to church for some reason. And if it's anything like the last several years, we'll pack this place out four times on December 17th. Where they are the next week, I don't know, but, but we'll get them on the 17th. And what does it look like, right, for you and me in this next season to say, I just want to be ready. And part of me being ready is making sure the people around me are ready and they know and they're loving the Lord. And you know what? We've talked about this. We've done a series on this. When we share our faith, it doesn't always go great, right? I just want to be real with you. I'm not saying that every time you share your faith, it's going to be met with love and acceptance, and, but we keep going. And sometimes we see crazy things happen. Sometimes God moves mightily in a life. Sometimes it takes a year or five years or 10 years or 30, but that person ends up following the Lord because God used us in their life. And maybe we were just like a little piece. Maybe we were the first one to kind of go in. We, we kind of paved the way a little bit as we shared our faith. And maybe we got rejected for it, but who knows? We're all a different piece in somebody's story, aren't we, as we share our faith? And so, man, I want to encourage you. Let's live like we're ready. Don't freak out. Be ready. Be ready with you and him, and be ready as you share your faith with others. Verse 10, we're almost done. Many will be purified made spotless and refined, because that's what Jesus does to us, everybody. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So there'll be many who look to Jesus and those who don't and continue on. Verse 11, this is a really confusing verse. I'm not even gonna take a crack at it, because as I was studying it, there were so many different opinions on it. It's just like, I'll read it, and then we'll keep going. All right, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. So when this is all happening, we're going to be like, ah, that's what those, were, those numbers were about. But I love what Daniel is told next, and it's also what he's told last. Verse 13, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Go your way. Church, can we just let that land on us today? Just go our way. What does that mean? Go to the end. Keep going. Worry about what you have to worry about. Be focused on the Lord. Be focused on what he's given to you. The rest we leave to a sovereign God. Go your way. I've got you. I've got this. I think it's so powerful that he brings up that heaven awaits, that our allotted inheritance, he's not talking about here and now. He's talking about eternity with Jesus, the inheritance that we'll have when we walk with him. And so what should our attitude be toward the end times? Don't freak out, be ready. Close to God, sharing his love with others. And we come to the end of the book of Daniel. And eventually Daniel would die. And you think about the fact that here he was in this foreign land, taken against his will, used so powerfully by God. Anybody in the room feeling stuck where you are right now? I'm going to talk about Daniel feeling stuck. Like here he is literally a slave in a foreign land his entire adult life. And yet I don't know what would have happened to the nation of Israel had he not been there. I'm just saying, some of us feel stuck somewhere, enslaved somewhere. Got to get out of this job. Got to get out of this school. Got to get out of this island. Get off this island. Got to move to North Carolina with 7,000 other people from the church, right? Man, like, what does it look like to just go, God, here I am, use me here. Maybe I'm in Babylon right now, but if you have me in Babylon, that's the best place I could be. So what does that look like for you and me? And I trust me, I get it. There's areas of my life I feel like I'm in Babylon in, and I just got to keep going, all right, Lord, you're sovereign, you're big, you're good, you got this, you got me, go my way. Go my way, put my head down another day. Be faithful where I am. Do what God's called me to do where I am. 
He'll lead me. He's got me. So what do we see today? Can I trust the Bible? Yes. If you didn't believe in the Bible, I say, I pray today you've seen proof, and there's a ton more. We just scratched the surface. And if you did believe in the Bible, I pray your faith is deepened. You can trust the Bible. How can a loving God send people to hell? A loving God sent his son to die, gave us prophets to look forward to, disciples to look back to Jesus, the scriptures, creation, and people in our lives. And bent over backwards that you and I would know him and have a relationship with him. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. What's your attitude be toward the end of times? Don't freak out. Be ready. You know what? Next week, Christmas celebrations begin. Next week, we get into uh, a fun time of the season, but a powerful time of the season. Invite people out. Let's see God move mightily starting next Sunday. But in this book, I think we've been challenged. I, I pray we've learned. I pray we've been encouraged. I pray we've been brought to a place of peace in our great God. And if I could sum up the entire book in a phrase, it would just be a big sovereign God is on his throne. And what that means for you and me is that we can just go our way. That doesn't mean do our own thing, by the way. Go our way on his path. Go our way in what he's called us to. Go our way in what he's wanting to do in and through us. And there's nothing like it. You know, I know lots of you guys are walking through some stuff and I know that there's hardship and there's heaviness and there's moments that are really painful. And again, I just, I just love that phrase so much that I could just speak it over us. Maybe just close our eyes for a second. I just want to speak it over us that, God, would you help us go our way? Would you help us not stall out? Would you help us not get stuck in our own ways? I know some of us feel stuck, but Lord, maybe we're really not. Maybe we're right where we're supposed to be, going our way in you. God, maybe some of us need to move, need to, need to move forward faster. God, whatever it looks like to go our way, Lord, would we go our way and not get distracted and not get all caught up in all the things we can't control, all the pain, all the hardship, all the difficulties and the questions, Lord, help us to go our way. Lord, we just pray us through what we talked about here today. God, would you help us to trust the scripture, God? I pray that it will be our guide. I pray, like the scripture says, it will be a lamp unto our feet, a guide unto our path, Lord. Help us, God. I pray that if we don't understand the Bible, God, that you'd help us. If we would uh, take the moment to reach out to a friend that maybe could help us understand it better. God, I pray that for those of us who um, just really don't have motivation to read the scriptures, God, make it something that we love. Please, God, open our hearts to that. And I just pray that we as a church staff would be there to come around people who need some help and encouragement with that. On to question two. There's this loving God who bent over backwards to rescue us from hell. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with him, that is the key. It's believing in him and and looking to him as your savior and Lord. And he, He loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. He loves you so much that he poured out that blood that we sang about earlier, that, that, that one and only thing that can wash away our sin. So if you want to look to him today as your savior, I'd love for you to pray with me now. You could just pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for giving your life for me. I didn't deserve that, and yet you've done it. Show me how real you are. Put your Holy Spirit in my life, God. Do an amazing thing. And lastly, God, we just bring to you all of the fears and the stress and the obsession and the distraction and the division that the theme of the end times brings. And God, I just pray you'd help us go our way. Do what you've called us to do. Be who you've called us to be. May we be ready personally. May we help others become ready. Lord, even use us over these next weeks in this Christmas season. 
Lord, draw our loved ones to you. Would you take a second and just pray for a specific person right now? Just ask God for the boldness to invite them and ask them, ask God for him to do a mighty work in their life. Just take a minute and pray for a specific person that might sit next to you and in this seat, in this room, in the next month. Lord, just prepare their hearts, God. Give them a hunger, give them a desire. We love you, God. Thank you.